0: Welcome to The Pestle. Reviewing and breaking down movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Pandemic Food. That 15-pound bag of rice is waiting to be cooked. Now, let's dim the lights and start the show.
1: Welcome, everybody, to The Pestle. Today's show is brought to you by Wild Bill's Leather Shop. Flaunch your 9-inch nail in the finest leather in all of purgatory only at Wild Bill's Leather Shop. Welcome <laughs> everybody to the Pestle. I am Wes, and I am Todd, and this is a podcast where we normally talk film and pick it apart as filmmakers in a good way. We we try to you know love on film instead of just you know make ourselves feel good by beating something up. Um, that's not fun, and and it doesn't make us feel good. Um, but there is something uh, we did once that was not film related that was. A big fitness episode. Oh, yeah. This was episode uh, 98, if I recall correctly. And it was a banger. Like, it was huge. Two and a half hours or something ridiculous. That's right. Mm -hmm. We were falling asleep in in our spaghetti in the middle of the show, whatever. But I did a big... Post on it uh, on the website that you know went alongside it, and then I also made a big post on Reddit um, that was specifically for Reddit. So each one of those the the podcast episode, the podcast post, and the Reddit post all have essentially the same information told in very different ways, so that you could consume all three and get something new out of each one. Well, fast forward to a few months ago, and that episode came out in like January of last year right before the pandemic Uh, well March or April somewhere around there May of this year um, I get a a DM in Reddit from a guy Meat Frappe and Frappe was, or should we call them meat? I, I don't know. Um, so meat, meat. <laughs> meat is yeah. pretty good. So yeah. meat's like, hey, man, I just want to say thank you. Like your recipes have been clutch because I made like over 40 recipe cards based on the foods that I was eating during my, my big diet. And he was like, these things have been great. I've been going through them all. Um, they've been really useful and helping keep me on track. I've a lot, I'm about halfway to my goal weight. And when I'm done, I'm going to make a big post and, and tag you in it if that's okay. Uh, and I was like, dude, that's awesome. Thanks for letting me know, you know, I'm, I'm excited to hear about your progress, um, et cetera. A few months go by nothing. And then last month he sends me a DM And then he tags me in a post Um, and he was like, man, I I actually wasn't going to post it. I hit my goal weight and I don't know. I just felt fine. I was like, you know what? It can just be that, you know, and that's fine. Uh, But then something happened and I wanted to kind of share that with the group uh, because we all kind of follow along on this subreddit called lose it r slash lose it. That is full of people that are focused on losing weight and some people that have lost weight and are just trying to keep it off. Um, So it's a really cool group of people who are all you know, fighting for the same thing, right. Or, our health. Um, and some people come from, you know, really difficult places like, Oh, you know, I weighed over 500 pounds and now, you know, I've, I've, I'm down under, you know, 200 pounds, et cetera. And so there's been just incredible stories that will choke you up. So he posted and he was like, I, I, I did it. Like I, I dropped 65 pounds over the course of uh, six, seven months and which is incredible. Like that's, Wow. That's really impressive. And he was like, man, uh, and big shout out to Wes's post and his recipes. Um, those were, you know, really big aid, but then something happened. I went on a family vacation and <laughs> I'm going to try <laughs> to not lose it. He's at the beach, and he hears something. Um, he's with his cousin um, with and his family, and he hears something in the distance. It sounds like yelling. He looks at about, he says, 250 meters, which is over 800 feet in the distance into the ocean. And it. he waits a couple seconds, and it looks like someone wearing an orange swim cap is drowning. Oh, my God. Dives in, races out there. And even though it feels like he's going as fast as he can, right. He's just struggling, um, yeah. to, to get there. Not because he's tired or anything. Luckily as part of his, uh, fitness and part of losing weight, he started swimming again. Um, and he enjoys swimming. And so, uh, this co uh, aligned, you know, perfectly. And just as he's about to get there, he sees the guy dip underwater and a few seconds longer. He has to go into the water, pull him up because he was about to drown and die. Um, and he's he himself is tired he's treading water for a couple minutes cuz he knows my cousin's on his way he he'd grabbed a, a, a flotation device and he also knows uh, and his cousin gets there just in time as he's starting to wear out and then the the lifeguards are racing out there and they're you know ATVs uh, and, and they pull the guy on shore and he's like so everyone's safe and he's like definitely could not have done that <laughs> if i yeah. had Dropped away. So <laughs> this is the this is the crazy part. The person he saved was actually his dad. <laughs> he saved his dad's life. Um, he didn't even know his dad was out there. He realized it pretty quickly after the, after you know uh, everything started going down. Um, yeah, and that added a bit of urgency. But but that is the the plot twist is that if he hadn't did what he did, uh, he would have lost his dad. So. Crazy! Oh
0: my God. So props to that me. Is, that is not a short <laughs> distance to swim. That no. is a long way to swim. Yeah, someone, you would know. You... Someone's life is on the line. Like, oh, I don't really have any war. That, that is. That's what I said. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> what do you do with that?
1: Man, That's I mean. absolutely incredible. What, I mean, encouraging. <sighs> um, you
0: know, I mean, I. <laughs> So many things had to happen for his life to have been saved. And I'm with, like going years back, if you hadn't done this and not only if you, played, I'm not attributing it to I you. I played a very small, a tiny
1: minuscule part in this. I, don't I am want not be-
0: taking anything from meat. I am just saying let's, I mean, if you follow the breadcrumbs, if he's saying there's no way I could have done that, you know, had he not, had I not lost the weight and part of the reason why he was able to is some of your recipes and following some of the, uh, of what you posted and maybe even just the motivation of the group in general mm. on, on lose it. Yep. And, uh, you know, and then his willpower at the same time, like that shit is amazing, man. That just goes to show you like, if, if you want to do, just do things, just do things. That's amazing. What an incredible story. Meet, you are Uh, I mean, and what a great day. This is September 11th today, the 20th anniversary when we're recording this. And that is a one like hearing the story of someone's life being saved on this day. Man, that just kind of hits like really hard. Wow. Incredible props.
1: That's almost three football fields. If you don't know, 250 meters, it's over 800 feet. That's almost three football fields. Running that is exhausting
0: swimming that is unbelievable i mean that what's more unbelievable is that he got there in time yeah when someone's drowning that shit happens fast yeah you know like how maybe he was there was like an undertow and he was being pulled down but he was able to fight it i guess like that's and then he just had you know tuckered out and you know finally succumbed to it and was like drug under when he got there that's Wow, and it's dad. <laughs> it's dad.
1: I'll link it in the show notes if you want to read his uh, play-by-play because it's it's truly an incredible story. And I definitely don't belong in that tagging, but I'm just props.
0: yes, you do. I am yes, so and, and you and dozens of other people doesn't belong in that. I'm sorry, I'm not a better chef, meat, because you could have had so much better <laughs> food
1: if I knew how to cook. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, you know it is what it is. Yeah. It is what it is. But that's that is amazing, bro. Yeah, wow. That's incredible. Good on you meet. Good on you meet. And you know what? If I have another son, I'm calling him meat because <laughs> that is the best name ever. Best name ever. He is best name ever. He's no hitman, yeah. I know that for
1: sure. Huh? Oh,
0: like that, that is a terrible segue that is <laughs> the worst segue you've ever done. Come on, you've got better than that, ain't you? dear god okay i i guess we're doing this yeah so uh, today we're what a terrible how do we get into this this is this, this the, oh, the show's awful. already anyway today we're like we today we're going to review sicario uh by dennis Villeneuve. if you haven't seen it please pause this episode go watch it i don't think it's streaming anywhere you got to rent it but it's it's yeah um yeah. we're gonna have spoil a lot of stuff and this is one of those movies where you don't want to know anything going in. So please go pause this episode, go watch it and come back.
1: Absolutely. We'll talk about a number of things. Definitely touch on some of the cinematography and pacing, what the walls in Sicario can tell us about the story, writing and story-wise. We're going to talk about, you know, a lot of stuff there, the rule of repeats, just slightly different than what we normally refer to when we discuss uh the rule of repeats and the complex perspectives in Sicario. This is
0: not a very cut and dry film um, and other such stuff and things and stuff. So a quick synopsis of the film, an idealistic FBI agent is enlisted by a government task force to aid in the escalating war against drugs at the border area between the U S and Mexico border. It's directed by Dennis Villanueva screenplay by Taylor Sheridan, cinematography by the great Roger Deakins, starring Emily Blunt as Kate Macer. Josh Brolin as Matt Graver, Benicio Del Toro as Alejandro, and Daniel
2: Kaluuya as Reggie Wayne. You saw things you shouldn't have seen. What is Medellin? Medellin? Medellin refers to a time when one group controlled every aspect of the drug trade providing a measure of order that we could control. And until somebody finds a way to convince 20% of the population to stop snorting and smoking that shit, order's the best we can hope for. what you saw up there was Alejandro working toward returning that order. Alejandro works for tell he works for the competition alejandro works for anyone who will point him toward the people who made him us them anyone who will turn him loose so he can get the person that cut off his wife's head And threw his daughter into a vat of acid. Yeah. That's what we're dealing with. He can't do this.
1: That's an interesting scene. I just noticed, like, her breathing is super heavy throughout that entire scene. It's almost overriding his dialogue until he talks about Alejandro's past and then He's got her attention. It stops. She's holding her breath now. Um, uh-huh. That's a pretty. Sweet yeah. Well, he, she just got touch. shot too.
0: Yeah. You know? So she's and trying to still trying to catch her breath. True. So, but they, they but they allowed that. Yeah. Right. To in the audio mix
1: because then you can kill it whenever it's time for her to be in shock now for a whole new reason. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that we haven't done a lot of movies like this. Um. You know the. I think. I, uh, without diving back through it, I think there's been only one I would compare to this one, which is Miami vice. Not that we need to go through a whole compare contrast, but they, they do have plot wise, a lot of similarities. And I'm curious, is this more your cup of tea? Uh, does this play for you?
0: How, how do you feel about yeah. this movie? It's, it's intense. Yeah, dude. It's intense. Oh, so I felt this way when I first saw this movie mm. and I've, uh, it just made it concrete to watch it again. Dennis Villeneuve might be one of my favorite directors, like,
1: and Denny for the record, uh, it's French. And so I think the S is silent. Denny. Denny. Yes. I'm not
0: French. So Dennis, sorry, there's an S <laughs> <laughs> whatever. But I agree. Kidding. I agree. Like Denny. he's Denny. I can't stop watching his movies. It's amazing. I mean, it's the, it's one of the more uncomfortable movies I've ever watched to be honest. And I think the reason is not because just because of the content and, you know, being from Texas and have this be, you know, in your backyard, not that I've dealt with this at all in personally, but knowing people who have, and it is just, you know, it hits home pretty, pretty hard. And I know that this shit happens. That shit does happen. And so part of it is, you know, seeing it happen you know in the film uh having it be put in your face, and another part of it is th- they do an amazing job of letting you see the tip of of an iceberg, but letting you feel the weight of the entire thing mm-hmm. like the whole time is stressful, even when it's not, even when they're not in any kind of like you know combat or anything like that, or seeing any terrible stuff going down, it just feels heavy and it feels dangerous all the time. And it doesn't feel like they're doing it for the sake of like, let's make a suspenseful film. It feels like, no, this is real. Like this, this shit happens and it feels like this and we're going to, we're going to show it to you. It feels like it, it feels very much like we're just going on a ride along in a lot of ways. And I would attribute that to the directing. And to Roger Deakins, who is just a master. I, I cannot watch it. I, remember, I was watching this before I knew it was Deakins. And I thought, man, whoever this is, like, this is like a Roger Deakins like style. I, I don't even know yeah. what his style necessarily is. Yeah. I just know it's just good. Like where where you don't ever see a shot and you think about the shot. That is a good cinematographer. And that's how I felt here. I felt like everything was just placed perfectly. Um, the lighting was perfect. I mean, the, the, with a movie like this, I think lighting is, I feel like it's everything, right? Obviously you have to have the acting and you have to have the writing. I get that. But, you know, if you don't have the lighting right, it almost doesn't even matter. It's kind of like audio in that way, right? If you want to tell a mood, right? If you want to have a mood throughout a film, getting the lighting right and the color, I mean, is a lot of it, right? And I feel like every single shot is perfect. So freaking perfect. I mean, the desaturation in areas where where it needs to feel dry was just fantastic. And then the pops of color that you needed, like whenever there was blood or something, it just like those those heads and bags at the beginning were and they just hang on it is like they make you they like force you into it. They just push, push and push and push and it you feel it. You absolutely feel it. I, re- I will never forget the first time I watched this film and I saw that opening scene. It really is incredible that they just start with it just right out the bat. And they're like, OK, this is what you're in for. Get ready. They don't hide anything. In fact, they f- they f- they throw you into it and it feels real and authentic. And her at the end, you know, her just like. The terrible feeling she has when she has to succumb and sign that paper you know, she's like, I'm one of them. You know, she said, I wouldn't, she never thought she would be one of them. And and then she is. But part of me also just to talk to that for a second, because mm-hmm. to me, you know, throughout this whole film, I'm watching all this shit. I'm watching these terrible things that, that these are done to these people. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking they, they need to get this guy. They need to get this guy. Right. And then the, she knows he's going to get the guy right? And she's not okay with it. And I get it. I I get it. You're a purist and and everything, but what they're doing to people on the daily down there, and he has an opportunity to, to end that. I feel like, I don't, I don't know. It just, it was perfect because I was like yelling to her, sign the paper, sign it, just sign it, sign your life away because it's worth your, it, it is worth your, your, you know, I guess, pride and you're, it's worth your life for that guy's life to be taken. It's, it's the whole, and I, I know not everybody might feel that way, but it's the whole, could you go back and would kill you kill Hitler, Hitler yeah. if you go back and do it? Yeah. I, yeah. And if that means that, you know, I'm, I'm a terrible person, I'm sorry. But if it means saving millions of lives, I mean, like, I, I don't know. Anyway, it was really, really good. It was really good. <laughs> I loved every second of it, and I'm, I'm watching it now off to the side. I'm so sorry, yeah, me too. but like, yeah, it's very stressful. Very like, but amazing, amazing. Denny is an incredible director. Everything that I've seen him do is just amazing. This one in particular is my favorite, uh, and him paired with Roger Deakins, I mean, could rival any anyone else. I think yeah. Uh, Nolan, yeah, anyone. I I just.
1: That's what I was telling yeah, my roommate uh, after watching it. For I've, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this. Every one of his movies, I tend to just kind of rewatch. I've seen Enemy too many times for the kind of movie oh, yeah. that Enemy is. It shouldn't be that rewatchable. Yeah, but but I keep watching it. I've seen Sicario, I don't know, ten times. Arrival, obviously, and. Now, after last week, I'm probably going to be rewatching 2049 ad nauseum. Uh And so, I went into my, I went to to talk to my roommate. I was like, "Man, Denny only puts out bangers like this dude. Yeah, he just can't miss." And he's like, "And I was like, man, even Nolan misses, Um, but but Denny doesn't miss." And I think he's, it's he's so story first, um, whereas Nolan is concept first, which I love that. Like, I'm obviously I'm not going to stop watching. Nolan films ever yeah but being so concept driven can can leave a, a, a some problems in the in the story that is the real reason people tune in you know and stay around at least you might tune in for the concept but you stay around for the story and by an inversion miracle like sicario has a pretty basic af story that we've seen a trillion times right we're going after drug lords and but it's the story that grips you as I'm watching Kate get gripped by Ted uh, in the throat and so mm-hmm. this he just gets it he gets where the pool is and then on top of that he also knows how to like you said push he's going to push you into this world and you can't stop it you you're going to be in there you're going to you're going to feel what they're feeling you're going to see the world through their eyes and it's going to, whether you like it or not, you know, make you reconsider what you think, you know. Um, and, mm. and it's a powerful thing to see the world through someone else's eyes. And I think he gets that and there's things they're doing in this, even though he didn't write the script, it felt like this could have been an okay script. Not that Taylor Sheridan is a bad writer. He's clearly a, an incredible writer um, and his follow-ups to this, you know, prove that out, I think. But, you could have probably taken the script and screwed everything up through whether it's the cinematography um, or just the the pacing itself. Like that that opening that you're talking about, we we open on a shot of the suburbs, mm-hmm. and you're just kind of like, okay. And then a SWAT team like crosses the screen. You're like, okay. <laughs> you're like, this is going yeah. somewhere. What is happening? Very okay. Quickly. And then we're in the van, right, with her. Then there's this really great shot. It's so simple. There's a lot of curtain detail shots in this film. And there's this shot of us looking very close at a corner of a window of of curtain. And there's just kind of dust flecks passing through the sunlight, right? And we're there for... That happens multiple times. Multiple times. And I think we hang out for maybe 10 seconds before we finally catch a little movement from the SWAT uh, that's about to pass the window. I mean, me as a director watching this, I'm like, yeah... I really need to be reconsidering every phase of, of of a scene and interesting ways to kind of punch up the story visually. And it's, it's, it's phenomenal, right? Then we cut to the perspective of the, the, the SWAT van itself. And you feel the racing, the heart racing and the the violins or whatever are just amping up and you hear the, and it hums along with the engine of the the van and you come around the corner going, Mop five right, <laughs> and then you cut, you know, twenty feet out, and we cut to the inside. Dead silence as a guy's watching his TV, and that anticipation of what's about to happen, and then just the whole wall collapses. It's freaking yeah. awesome. <laughs> oh. So good, and then it just gets crazier from there, right? Like that's that's such a simple way, uh, but effective way of showing a, a raid. Like this is just a raid, yeah, and we've seen raids happen hundreds of times probably throughout the years.
0: And yet this just grabs you. Dude, I was watching this and I remember I was thinking when, okay. So when they go into Juarez and it's on right now, when they go into Juarez to get the guy mm. um, to bring back to the States, right. And that whole, whatever, when they go in and people are hanging from the, from the overpass, I couldn't help, but remember a time in college When I was with my then girlfriend and we just had this whim, let's, let's go over to Mexico. And we drove to Juarez and we went to Juarez in the middle of the, in the middle of the night. And we went to this bar and I will never, I will never forget it. So we went to this bar and, uh, we went in, we got a drink and then we looked at each other and we thought, this is a mistake. We shouldn't be here. We should go. Okay, so let's go. All right. So we go out to our car. We get in our car. We we drive away. And there's a there's a point where you you're supposed to where the 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 freeway switch like V's, and you go one way to go to the border, and you go another way, and, and and there's no turnaround. And we went the wrong way, and there was no turnaround. I mean, like for. We drove for twenty fucking minutes into the middle of nowhere, bro. And there, not a single light, nothing. It was just darkness. And I, I remember sitting there thinking, oh, "We're gonna die." Like, so, and I, I just couldn't help help feeling that way. I'm like, okay, something is wrong. We shouldn't be here. And we, we got out. It was fine. Yeah. You know, it ended up being fine. But I was watching this, and I was thinking, "This is the stupid." I remember doing that. That was, and I said out loud, "I am the stupidest. I was the stupidest kid ever to just think that I I should just do that by myself. No one knew I, I was going, except her. No one knew where I was at all. <laughs> if something were to happen, I would just have disappeared. And in this same city, right, where this kind of stuff—I mean, it does happen. Right, it happens. Mm. It happens all over the place. It happens here too. Yeah. yeah. But, but Whereas I just seems yeah.
1: particularly. Uh, dangerous. I don't know. I haven't read up on it recently. I know a lot of these border towns are pretty rough over the last 15 years because of the drug war. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: And this is back in 002. Yeah. 01. Nice. So, anyway.
1: Yeah. That's funny. No. I, and I, I don't know. I, It's hard because just touching on that a little bit, you know, more, uh, I backpack through Mexico all the time. Like, I yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying all time. Mexico. Right. Right. For right. Sure. And it's one thing to understand, Hey, this place is not the place to be particularly, you know, at the wrong time of day. And it's another thing to label all of Mexico that, which is not what you're doing. Yeah. But I've had these conversations with my family where I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go hang out in, you know, Mexico for a month or so. And like, remember one time my aunt was just like, not quite freaking out, but alarmed and trying to talk me out of it. And I'm like, It's not what you think it is. Like it's fine and try to lay out uh, all the facts at the the time. And, you know, just people will be surprised. The world overall is so much nicer and kinder than you think it is. And so just because you watch something like Sicario, just know where you're going. That's I think that's the big takeaway that I want to make is just know where you're going. There are so there are infinitely more places that are safe to be even in, you know, whatever you think of Mexico. Like Then there are dangerous places like go visit, have fun whenever it's safe to travel, when you feel safe to travel and you're going to have an incredible time because I've just had so many amazing experiences and just know, hey, let's (laughs) let's
0: let's avoid dark places in Juarez and yeah. Which is where I was. And, and that's why I'm saying yeah. that. Don't yeah, go. Yeah. To, I went to a dark place at two o'clock in the morning in yeah. Juarez, Mexico. Juarez is And no one knew I was there.
1: Brutal.
0: And, you yeah. know,
1: visually it looks almost, it's, it's just crazy that you cross the border from El Paso into Juarez and you're immediately like, it's a completely different environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've heard like Shamari tell stories. We passed he, it. He grew up in. On the uh, way here. Yeah. He grew up in El Paso, and, uh, and he could tell you a whole lot of great stories. I was born in El Paso, oh, but, but I didn't really live there. Anyway, God, of course you were.
0: I'm just man of the everywhere, world. man. <laughs> Where are you from? Yes, correct. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, Let's go through some of your notes, man. What you yeah. got? Yeah.
1: So cinematography and pacing is just Denny does a incredible job in all of his films that I've seen. I haven't seen all of his films to be to be clear, but. The pacing is built into the camera moves. Like this is not as easy as you think. Like in, in, in a normal, may more paint by numbers film, you might just do your coverage. Oh, we're gonna shoot this and this and this. Um, and then we'll mostly figure it out in, in post. Maybe we'll get a couple specialty shots after we get our coverage. We're gonna want to uh, dolly in on this line because it's a key moment. And then in post, you can kind of build around that. Here a lot of his camera moves are just part and parcel, not to say he doesn't get coverage, but so much, so many of his scenes rely heavily on pacing being built into the camera move itself, into the choreography of the scene. And it's a lot of like slow pushes, which of course plays in with the slow music and it gives everyone a lot of time to react. Right. So if we go back to that opening sequence, the hole in the wall, right. She walks into a room, calls out, you know who she is and a dude, pumps a shotgun uh, next to her face, blows open this hole in the wall. She takes him down. um, And we just kind of sit and catch our breath for, you know, a few seconds. Uh, Reggie, her partner uh, played by Daniel Kaluuya walks into the room and he's like, yo, everything. All right. Okay, cool. Um, And we're just kind of hanging out there for a second. Uh, Then Reggie slowly turns and slowly reacts. Uh, His face goes from what's that to, what's that? And then we cut to a close up with a slow push in of the wall before we finally reveal, right, that it's a there's a body in the wall. And then we cut to more walls being torn down and more bodies being hidden in the walls. But every push in creates tension. We're kind of getting this question of what is this? What's happening right now? And In the opening scene, every slow pushing seems to have a payoff, right? Uh, Bodies in the walls, a booby trap bomb. Uh, We just kind of keep having these payoffs. And then, so they've they've set the stage for the rest of the film. We kind of anticipate that anything can happen next, especially when we start getting these creeping shots and the... and it, and it just pays off so much with that anticipation that we experience for the entirety of the movie. And then the slow evolution of these moments lets the drama build, right? Rushing these moments could have come off as like melodramatic, but giving them 10, 20 seconds to develop lets the actor take their time, lets it wash over them and compose a few moments before we reveal here's what's happening. And so no one responds quickly, right? They listen, they digest, they think. And then they reply, everything is weighed and measured and combined with the music, right. We have a constant sense of dread and foreboding, uh, for a solid two hours. Um, yeah. and that's just, that's the way Denny works and him, you know, doing that in conjunction with, uh, Deacons is incredible. Like obviously all the lighting is, is great, but it's impressive how minimalistic he can be sometimes. Cause there's shots, uh, that it, I just did a very quick, like Deacon's Sicario, Google earlier, and I dropped into his forum and uh, someone was asking, hey, how'd you like this scene in the interrogation room with these overheads? And he's like, no, I just like the the warmth of those overheads. And so I kept those fluoros, you know, it was just the available light. He said he sculpted a little bit with some tape, uh, probably in coverage, I'm assuming. But for the most part, it was just the available light.
0: <laughs> um, it's very yellow. That was very, just watching. It It was just on. It's very yellow. So, so washed. Yeah. Um, even in the hallway when he meets that other guy and they're talking yeah. so yellow. Yeah. And I'm
1: sure it's nice to be able to look at it and say, oh, this works. And it saves you a lot of time and not just for the setup, but between setups and between rooms. Right. For in the hall and we cut to the interior of the interrogation room we, we probably want those to match up pretty nicely. And so having it work in one means that it can work in the rest. And now you're, you're saving yourself some time. Probably maybe not. Maybe the hallway was a completely different light because whoever built that place or was managing it was just popping in whatever bulb works. And he's like, now I've got to switch out these bulbs, but whatever, like, Maybe it worked and saved him some time, but uh, there are some shots in here where I think it looks like he's just using the headlights in uh, that end sequence. Uh, it looks like the headlights are just lighting the when set. When they're driving at the end? Uh, not, like Not even that, definitely that, but whenever that clip that we played when he's um, oh, giving her the yeah. what for, it looks like mm-hmm. those are the headlights uh, the, that are lighting the set for, for the most part. Maybe in certain co- bits of coverage, it, it's not, but... That's what it looked like to me and uh, I wouldn't be surprised he is that kind of minimalist at times uh but he's also the kind of person who's going to bring out you know 10 H- HMIs and light up a hillside <laughs> like in the middle of the night yeah. like yeah. he's not lazy by any stretch of the imagination but he also just he just knows what he wants and he doesn't care if it doesn't take a lot to get it. He's It's about yeah. the result. It's not about the process for him, which is also why he doesn't really care about the whole debate between film and digital. He's like, yeah, it's close enough. I like digital. It works for me, whatever. Like, it does the job. That's awesome. He's very much the guy who brings bedsheets
0: onto the set with him. Like, uh, yeah, it's good diffusion. I like how, it. <laughs> like, how awesome. How non-pressure. I don't mean like... Non pressure to like not get it good, but non pressure to like be a certain way. It's unpretentious, right? right? It doesn't it? Just it doesn't matter. It's just whatever is best. Best idea wins. You yeah. know, it's pretty That's cool. so cool.
1: And so yeah, I agree with you. Like I, I want to see him with uh, Denny as much as possible. Like yeah, for sure. Let's talk about the walls a little bit. This is I'm still putting this under cinematography, just because I think it goes along with set decoration and it's part of a whole conversation that the director art deck uh, the art department and cinematography all work very closely with this kind of stuff and the walls kind of jumped out at me a tiny bit because halfway through the film I was like man these walls are plain they're weird I mean it's beautiful everything in there is gorgeous but it was just kind of odd that normally plain bare walls are are big no-nos you don't do that but he was not afraid of that and on my After I finished taking notes, I started rewatching it and I realized our first big debriefing that we have after that opening sequence, when we meet uh, Graver, Matt, that happens in a government office in this big conference room with glass walls. And that jumped out at me because there's transparency. Everything they're doing is visible. But as we dive deeper into the illegal ways they're waging war, we find ourselves in these drab rooms with opaque walls. We are operating illegally and there is no transparency in this process. Um, And I think they're reflecting that through a lot of the art decisions um, and and how the rooms we're shooting in in and of themselves. Um, We go from this really nice government building, all these computers, all this technology to uh, we're going to get basic. And you can't get more basic than four walls and a jug of water right? When they interrogate this guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's, it's speaking to that. And it also, you know, makes sense on art department wise, because these are militaristic facilities and they should be minimalistic. Right. Uh, and it's purely functional. We're here to just do a very simple, basic thing. This isn't here to be your cool office getaway nine to five. Like we are doing bad stuff in here. Uh, this is not to be uh, a beautiful place uh, where beautiful things happen. At all. Another thing that I thought was interesting was the wristbands—the blue and purple wristbands—that were a big plot device, um, story element. Where we first see them, right after the the bank bust, uh, the seizure, we linger on a shot of them as the cop picks up the money, right, and he's getting the money in, and these just loose rubber bands are just sitting on on the the pavement, and they they stand out, and they did this on purpose, right? Uh, these are blue, purple wristbands, um, and we just linger there for a second, and then we see them again. When we meet Diaz, he's taking a phone call. We don't know that it's Diaz, but we kind of think it might be Diaz. And as he's having this conversation about the seizure, we sit on this close-up of him holding the band. And so we get another good look at it. And then we go to the honky-tonk bar. And when Kate walks up to the bar to order her beer, she's washed out in these blue and purple colors. And I love this. It's a very small but big touch. It's one of those hiding things in plain sight because she's just washed out in this blue and purple, same color as the wristband. Um, And then when she walks away, we, uh, we tilt down just a hair to see Ted, the guy that is going to be her. She assumes an assassin. We kind of find out that he wasn't there to kill her. He was just there to get information, but I love it. It's a very subtle tie in to who he is uh, that you would never in a million years pick up on, you know, in a, in a firsthand viewing. But it's one of those things that filmmakers love to do. That's how else can we tie this all thematically together or, or, uh, or visually together? And of course, whenever Ted takes her back to her place, right, the rubber band becomes our big reveal, and it's so easy to pick up on uh, because we've had layers of reinforcement so that when we see it, the way it's shot, uh, the, way, the look on her face, the way she reacts to it, it all
0: just clicks. It just... the re- Her reflection. Yeah. We see her reflection on the glass seeing... So that it's brilliant. So you can get a close up on the thing that she's seeing, but also see her reaction to it. And in, in such an interesting way, instead of like, you know, from... From behind it, you know, with her in the background, no, we're gonna shoot down on it and get that ref- that that look that's so brilliant. so kills brilliant. it
1: kills it. Um, mm-hmm. Another thing that I think kind of falls in into the cinematography standpoint because I think there's a lot of ways to do some of this stuff is the violence. There's a lot of off-screen violence. We don't see it all. We don't see it all happen, yeah. right And the tunnels at the end we're, were creeping through. We hear someone's throat get cut, right? We're in infrared right now. And we hear someone's throat get cut, a struggle, kind of this uh, like gasp and then a fall. And then after several seconds, we see their body in infrared, right? Blood kind of oozing out, but it's white. Uh, it's a pretty sweet little touch. in the, the scene where Ted uh, gets caught, right? He's trying to kill Kate and Alejandro steps in. We never see him get beat up. Instead, we cut to him in the police car and he's just been mangled, right? His face is deranged. So his his getting beat up happens off screen. We see Alejandro fire his gun to kill the family at the end. And we see the aftermath, but not them actually getting shot and dying. We just get the implications and the results. And even in the the scene in Juarez you were talking about, like we see the bodies hung up in Juarez, which are certainly violent images. But we never actually see the acts. Uh, So we see often, not 100%, but often we see the results of violence, um, not the actual acts. And there might be some thematic uh, elements that go along with that that I just haven't pieced together. Uh, Because whenever you think of some of the violent acts that we do see, we see the cops raiding the building at the beginning. The drug guy takes a shot at her and we see him get wiped up with her her rifle we see all these gang members get wiped out by cops again and their cars and yeah so maybe the 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 tying element there is we see the cops do violence even if we don't see everyone else doing violence i don't know that that could stand some more uh analysis and and a watch through just thinking about those aspects of when we see violence versus when we don't but regardless Mm -hmm. Builds violent emotions in our minds. Our imagination is usually more terrifying than anything you can show us. Um, and not letting us see some of these things affects us differently. Um, and sometimes more than seeing it. And then in some cases, it's just probably trying not to turn off the the viewer, right? We don't want to see kids get killed. And just hearing about his daughter being thrown in acid was enough to just make us feel like kate did uh it, it hurts to think about that um and so you don't want and so hearing that story beforehand you understand why he kills his kids so that's an important uh, bang 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 uh, no pen intended but story timing wise mm-hmm. we hear the story and then we see him carry out that same exact vengeance that's important mm-hmm. because now we are expecting it because we're anticipating it. Um, We're not happy about it. We don't feel good, but we understand it. And that's a very complicated thing uh, that they're doing there. And it's, it's, it's perfectly executed. Dang it. No pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) I keep throwing out zingers. (laughs) I like it. Um, Story and writing wise, the rule of no peats So normally we talk about the rule of repeats as a way that of saying that we shouldn't see the same situation unfold the same way twice. So if we, See this first uh, raid happen, uh, and it goes every goes our way, and you know when we go to the next scene and they're doing another raid, we shouldn't see them get away scot free again. Uh, that would be the rule of repeats. That's not what that, but that's not what we're talking about here. In this case, not repeat the same information twice. They're not repeating themselves twice as far as exposition goes. And so, for instance, Reggie, after that first uh, Juarez raid, they get back and. Reggie shows up to pick up Kate and drive him over to Arizona. Right. And it's hundred miles, right? He's pissed at the end of it. He's like, I drove hundred miles for this. She's like, it's a blessing. Freaking believe it. But whenever he gets there, he's frustrated. He pulls them to the side and he's trying to get answers. And he asks, and, and Guillermo is, he's trying to, he hears this name Guillermo. We're going after Guillermo or we got Guillermo. And he's like, who's Guillermo. And we don't get an answer instead. Kate pushes uh, the next topic. Uh, well, what's our game plan? I know Guillermo didn't just talk and give you the information willingly, hinting at you know some, some torture or some illegal acts that she's concerned about. And so what we do there when he's asking about Guillermo and trying to get information about who that is, we already know who he is. He's the brother of our cartel member. But it emphasizes that Reggie's in the dark, and it's a logical question for him to have. And it also gives us some crosstalk. Right, questions hanging out there are fun, easy ways to engage the audience, and so it's just a way to have some some patterns, some logical things evolve and 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 kind of further some of the issues that we're having with these quote unquote DOD advisors, <laughs> and then later in the film, right, uh, not too much later, Kate says in in response to that, right, where Reggie's like. And these guys are clearly CIA and she says they're DOD advisors. And Reggie says, you don't believe that, do you? And she doesn't respond, right? She doesn't answer that question because she's not going to repeat something that we already know. We already know what she thinks because she's already said so. She's explicitly yelled it in uh, Matt's face. And so by not responding, it lets us think it for her. And it lets the audience kind of chew on that. And there's no real need to repeat it out loud because it's not going to take us anywhere new. We we want to try as often as possible to go somewhere new to not rehash old arguments. Um, and so they get to invoke this question, let us chew on it, and also move on. So it's giving us a lot of cake and eating it too um, by reinforcing that everyone involved knows these guys are not just dod advisors these are cia people um, and they want to keep that idea alive throughout this film and let's talk about that a little bit because this film has a lot of complex perspectives and ideologies for one i don't think there's any real heroes in this film right you have the cia uh, embodied with matt graver which by the way, this isn't really even a note. It's just something I can't stop thinking about. Uh, the naming convention here, Graver, Matt Graver being CIA, Kate Macer being kind of a local cop. That I just find that kind of interesting from the standpoint of Mace feels like a very temporary way to neutralize someone. Um, Graver being uh, much more sinister, right? You're, you're killing someone. Uh, and it's reflective of their uh, tactics and the, the way they approach the same issue uh, and so it seems like they lightly embodied it in the naming convention even though we mostly go by Kate and Matt. Kate, Matt, Alejandro, Reggie uh, we're not big on last names in this film and so just a very light way for the writer to kind of make a, a thematic uh, statement and so Matt the CIA is working with Alejandro the Medellin cartel In order to reduce chaos and make the drug trade easier to control. That's not heroic, right? It's a realistic approach to our country's methods, which also include a lot of illegal tactics, right? Torture, turning, and throughout the whole torture process, right? Everyone's turning an intentional blind eye. Right. Turn off the camera and they leave the room. Alejandro himself is advising the attorney to not sit in on the interview. Like, eh, you don't want to be involved in this. And even Matt at the beginning is like, there's no lawyers on this, on this ride. Um, he's trying to avoid any type of legal oversight whatsoever because he knows. Everything we're about to do is actually illegal. This is not by the book, Mm -hmm. uh, which you hear quoted a few times. We did everything by the book, right? Yeah, that's important to Reggie and Kate. Not as important to
0: all these other people. And even when Kate tries to go turn them in and her boss says, if you're looking for a a line to cross, it's been moved. Like that's a great moment to have. I mean, I think that's very important. Also, not just for Kate to hear it, um, but for us to hear her boss say, tell her that it's like, basically like you have free reign, do whatever the f- you want to do or that you are told to do, you know, whatever. And that, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Important. Because they don't have, mm-hmm. we America, as you would imagine, do not have jurisdiction in Mexico, uh, right. much to our dismay. We don't have jurisdiction anywhere outside of, uh, America. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I guess international well said, waters well would be the closest you could get. Yeah. But there's no procedure, right? Instead, uh, we have desperate tactics to win. And you're right, man. Kate tries to address this. She gives a good faith effort to address this internally. And she's told it's a decision made far from, far from here by elected officials, which they're implying is either Congress or more likely presidential. Mm-hmm. And there's no jurisdiction in America for the CIA to operate as well. Like the CIA cannot operate within the boundaries of America. That's out of their uh, purview. That's FBI territory, DHS, a uh, thousand other. There might literally be a thousand agencies within the, the our, our departments, but the CIA isn't. And so they mislead Kate in order to get her involved so they can technically gain permission to, to operate in American borders. I mean, what they're doing, it's their attempt at gray area legalese, you know, garbage, because they're, they're lying uh, to some degree. And this is where DOD advisors, when they do operate under the CIA and they're probably doing some legal bullcrap where we'll loan you out to the DOD to be an advisor on this. Right. And you just do this paperwork, pin pushing bullshit. And so at the end of this, our sense, and we're just still on the CIA here. Our sense of justice is to unleash one cartel against another and to commit murder. Like that's that's the best that we can do uh, from our highest levels of of authority, if you will, uh, which I will not. And so fine okay the cia is not a hero obviously cartels are not any better right we start with them having slaughtered hostages that was the whole involvement of kate from the beginning she doesn't work drugs Mm -hmm. she works hostages and so they've slaughtered them hid them in the walls um and we go through Juarez we see them hanging bodies etc right we don't empathize with the cartels either we're not exactly looking at them for any kind of moral uh guidance (laughs) in this film yeah um Kate is an interesting one right uh Kate has a chance to shut down the operation by withdrawing it seems like I think that's kind of what they're getting at what Reggie's saying to her like you could shut this whole thing down right now by pulling out uh but she doesn't she's compelled to see it through even though it's legally the wrong thing to do and so she's our conscience but also but but maybe not a hero because she's participating in this and this gets into the the difficulties of you know working in law enforcement uh it's you're to some degree you feel damned if you do and damned if you don't that's not i think it is a little bit more black and white in that Area, I think you know we have laws for a reason, and you know if uh, stick 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 to the laws. <laughs> I don't want to overcomplicate this. <laughs> stick to the laws. Yeah, but we then here's where it gets really interesting. Though, is you also have this story of the Mexican boy with his dad, right, Silvio, and this is mm-hmm. such an interesting touch. Uh, you could have told this whole movie without knowing who this guy is but they told you who he is and it humanizes, you know, a quote unquote henchman, a dirty cop because he is, he's a dirty cop. He's a dirty, filthy cop. Yeah. Um, and yet we, we humanize him by letting us see him through the eyes of his son. Mm-hmm. So we don't really get to know him. We get to know his son and how his son sees him. Right. He um, kind of here puts him on a pedestal um, and he's not a bad father. This is a, the crazy part. Mm-hmm. He's not a bad dad. Yeah. He plays soccer with his son. He tells him not to ever touch his gun right mm-hmm. and then of course one day he just doesn't go home, come home and we we spend those moments with the son waiting and then uh we end the movie by playing soccer uh playing soccer with all these boys and there's this moment where we're interrupted by gunfire there's a pause everyone watches to see is there anything we need to be concerned about and then they just go back to playing soccer And that's just life there. Uh, And it's kind of implying this question is, is this our impact on families in Mexico? Right. Because you, you should reflect back on Matt's point about our part to play as citizens, like and it's, it's mm-hmm. a, this is why I'm saying this is a complex story is, uh, we still want drugs, right? We want our marijuana, which is starting to slowly get legalized and decriminalized. And, um, we still want our heroin and cocaine and whatever else, uh, crosses borders, whether it's, you know, directly from Mexico or just crosses the border there. Uh, they play their part. Uh, if you've ever seen Narcos, you know, you, have, you probably mm-hmm. have a better idea of how that all plays out. Um, but this this perspective of the the dad who gets killed is a rare glimpse of depth in a drug film because we just normally don't humanize these people. Uh, and at the end of the the whole film, we feel very much like Kate. We feel sick at our stomach because there's no. Yeah. It doesn't feel like there's a right answer, and the whole film feels like a gross, incurable disease that you're just living with. Um, and you're doing your best to control it, so to speak, uh, or at least that's Matt's perspective, right? Like the best mm-hmm. we can do is to kind of give Medellin back to the the head of this whole snake. And now we can at least mitigate some of the violence. And he's kind of expressing some resentment for having maybe taken out Escobar because that was kind of the head of the, the Colombian cartel Medellin. Or something I don't know my drug history isn't that great so if someone wants to link us with better ac- accurate representation I'm, I'm all for diving into that because uh, this is the drug war is one of my big buttons for sure but this whole film is just it should make you feel pretty sick at your stomach with with everything and how it plays out and and, and complicated like you should have complex uh, responses to to watching something like this
0: um, yeah yeah I mean the I, I definitely did and then to your point about the drug war I feel like like I mean, it's, you, you can say the drug war, but like, I don't care if everybody wants to do heroin, right? Yep. But the problem is, is that that's not, that's not the problem, right? The real problem is the murders and, and all that stuff. Like the, that's the real thing, right? So everyone could shoot up tomorrow and, you know, OD all they want, right? and that's their, their choice to do that to themselves. But when you start, when, you know, these cartels and whomever starts killing because of it, like then you're, you know, that's, that's different. That's, that's just different. That's mm-hmm. not, they didn't choose to die, right? It wasn't their call. And so, uh, and who cares what they did? Didn't matter. Doesn't matter. So yeah, it's this weird dichotomy. It's like, it's like I'm not pro drug war. I never have been. Mm-hmm. I always thought that people should be able to do what they want. But at the same time, like there's don't you have to do something when you know people are dying every single day that don't need to and what do you do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answers. I would say I have two wishes that I have for this film. Or two things
1: that bother me. Uh one is how they use torture to get results. Uh, in reality in real life that's not how that shit works. Uh, result, uh torture results in bad intel, uh not good intel. um and so they they get that wrong but it's a dramatic movie and I'm I'm not really I'm not blaming them for using that kind of dramatic device. My other wish uh, for this movie would be to present uh the kind of secret other option uh which is drug legalization. They'd never throw that out there. They never even I'm not saying they should have went down the 20 minute rabbit hole about that, but it should have been thrown out there as uh, like a possible uh, solution or idea about how to reduce this violence. Um, It would be by legalizing drugs because you could look at the prohibition of alcohol in the 20s and that gave us gave us our lucky Lucianos and Al Capone's and there was blood rampant because that was how you got your got your illegal fix uh, was through the cartels of, of alcohol. And there's, there's a lot of reason to believe that's how this plays out as well. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. and yeah, I at the end of the day, it's it's very complicated, complicated, and I'm okay with that. And uh, those are just things that I wish they could have broached just in a one or two sentences. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. So, uh, cool. So, yeah, what did you think of it, dude? I, I just love this movie so much. Yeah, um, it's thinking. gripping. I love. I love complex things. I love not having the answers delivered. They don't give you yeah. any answers in this. Yeah. They don't, they don't try, right? They just say, yeah, here's, it's, here's it's the shit show that it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. They give you, they give you information, mm-hmm. right? She finds out and we find out the information as she finds it out. So that's always that, that really helps to move the story along when it's not just, I'm finding out as a viewer, it's the like, like, arguably the main character discovering something new and it's like okay well she's discovering something new so she's going to act differently now she's going to do something different now which is going to push the story forward it's Mm -hmm. not just us getting the info and so that is a a really cool interesting way for information to get to us like through that and i loved that and i felt like she was continually learning and we were continually learning because you know in that after that, the whole thing where they they go over to over to Mexico to get the guy and they bring him back, and then they're having that discussion. And we are way far away from them uh, when they get back yeah. to the base. We're way far away, and I'm all, you know when you see a shot like that, you're always thinking, okay, eventually they're going to punch in, right? They're going to get closer to him, so we can like see the dialogue rather than just hear it. But they never do. They stay wide the whole time. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> um, uh, but he the last thing he says is learn you're here to learn. So learn. Hmm. And I think he's talking to us. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's, it's, it's telling us also, because we yeah. are going on this ride with her. We started with her. We're staying with her the whole time. And so it's up to us to learn as well. But I'm wondering, what are we supposed to learn? We're just supposed to learn that everything is fucked. Is that it? Well, I, yeah. I mean, we kind of knew that, but I don't think we knew of the, the level of fucktitude. Yeah. That's a word. Well, yeah, right. Yeah. I,
1: yeah, I think that's there. That's the nice thing about this is there's no grand lesson other than this is all, none of this is good. None of this is good. Um, yeah. And that's valid. Yeah. 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 Anyway.
0: Anyway. Great, great movie. Great movie. Roger Deacons did it again. And Denny, wow. Just. Just a freaking masterpiece man it's masterpiece. just amazing storytelling yeah an amazing pacing just so yeah. good so good
1: so what are you going to recommend this week
0: uh i can't believe we haven't recommended it. i can't believe you haven't recommended this uh because we've talked about it multiple times on the podcast and personally between each other but i'm going to recommend uh another somewhat of a drug movie i'm going to recommend brick which i haven't watched in a while and i loved that movie it it's a Great little film. Ryan Johnson and Jesse Gordon-Levitt. And uh, it's from back, I think it's 05, 04, something like that. Great film. Definitely something you should check out if you have have the time. Brick.
1: Nice. Good call. Uh, I'm going to recommend a, if you want like another slow burn thriller with some complex perspectives, I guess. Uh, Not quite as complex as this, but The American. If you've never seen The American with George Clooney, uh, it's just. I love that movie. I've seen it a number of times. I think I saw it twice in theater. I haven't seen it. Wow, oh, man, it's it's simple. It's a very simple film. And it's about an assassin, you know, doing one last job, and that's that's it. That's and go, Sicario. It's so good. Uh, yeah, exactly, Sicario. Cool. Yeah, so. Stay tuned for next week. We are going to have another guest on uh, with uh, Ricky Holm. So uh, he is my VR producer. We do a lot of uh, projects together. We're shooting next week and we're prepping. We're wrapping up some other projects and then prep for other projects. It's just been chaos with him lately. And uh, so we're going to bring him on to take a look at Ready Player One and discuss vr we'll probably discuss ready player one a little bit less than we then uh, we discuss vr though we'll certainly take a, a, a normal look at it yeah so it's great t- can't wait for that yeah, me too that'll be fun if you're enjoying the show don't forget drop us a review subscribe um leave us a note if there's something you want us to cover talk about something you find interesting let us know you can comment on this episode at the dot com slash sicario
0: and our quote of the day is from milton friedman See, if you look at the drug war from a purely economic point of view, the role of the government is to protect the drug cartel. That's literally true. And absolutely.
1: Because what he's saying there is by making it illegal, they don't have to compete with anybody. They have a de facto monopoly that's government mandated. Yeah, And so the
0: only way you can get drugs
1: is through the cartels. So, way to go, government.
0: Absolutely, it's just just a little something to, to chew on chew there. On that, because yeah. we're not saying you should do drugs. <laughs> like, yeah, it is a hot topic, it and is for sure. it's. I think it's mostly hot because because the idea of legalizing drugs is scary. Mm-hmm. You know, like because it's it does nobody talks about it. Like nobody, it's not like something that is on people's tongues where you're like, okay, let's debate this. Nobody's debating. Everyone thinks oh, it's yeah. bad, and it is. Let's get let's be clear. Very clear. I've lost friends to drugs. I've had friends die from
1: overdosing. I've had friends go to jail for selling like this has absolutely impacted my life pretty directly. And so I don't deny any of the issues with drugs for sure.
0: Of course it just you know if you look at history and you brought it up the um, abolition of alcohol people are going to find a way to get it and what they're getting is going to be something that is not regulated. It's probably subpar it could, it could have be laced with something. And if someone dies, there is no one to, to take the fall for it. Nobody can be prosecuted because it was an illegal substance anyway. And so, you know, it, it's a, some people will say it's a slippery slope, but you just got to, you have to look at it from and and honestly, I don't understand from a purely economical position why it should be illegal. I think that if you if you legalize, let's just say you legalize weed across the board at, in every single state, in every state, now all of a sudden, you know, you have you're able to tax that, so states make more money. You can add a federal tax to that as well, so the actual federal government can make more money. You can you can prosecute someone for selling you something that's not what that that hurts you, right? You you just treat it like a normal like pharmaceutical huh. drug. And then all of a sudden there is so much more red tape, right? So so if you want to get involved into it, you have to you have to do all of these things, you know, it's just like any other business, right? You have to you have to follow through, you have to be licensed, you have to, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. And there's a lot of money in all of that. So
1: Yeah, absolutely. And syntaxes are nothing new. Like we mm-hmm we raise so much revenue through gambling, right? What do you think of oh, the lottery, gosh, yeah. Powerball, all that stuff is? That's, that's a syntax and arguably ungood for you. But the idea is, you know, if people should be free to to decide uh, how they treat their money, how they treat their, their bodies. And even if you disagree, that's okay. I think what you said a minute ago is, perfect uh it's worth discussing it's worth putting on the table and have a conversation about uh because maybe we can find a middle ground that minimizes harm for everyone and and right now this is not it we're just not there right now and i think that's clear as clear as a bell
0: i mean just to end it really fast Mm -hmm. like like in the clip you played at the beginning matt says it perfectly until 20 percent of the population decides to stop snorting and injecting that shit This is the way that that it works. So really, I mean, it's supply and demand. It is a simple economic problem. If you have demand, supply finds its way to you. That's it. Bottom line. And how it gets to you is not of your concern. Nobody wants to see the hamburger get made, but everybody goes to McDonald's. Nobody wants to see the cows, lines of cows lining up to get, to get slaughtered. And I know where that, that's where that comes from. We all do. And yet we, mm-hmm. we sit there and we eat it. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I eat, I eat it too. Just saying, be aware yeah. of what you're doing, you know, and yeah. yeah, anyway, that's yep. it, that's it I'm not going to go on a soapbox Because I think that there's arguments on both sides as yeah, well too. For sure, yeah Very valid arguments Agreed. You know, and and I lo- I would love to have a, a dialogue with someone I mean, I have it with my father every now and then mm. um, About this kind of issue You know, we keep it very civil and, and stuff on this It's not like it's like Trump or something Where we just fight <laughs> <laughs> it's just drugs. That's all. It's just drugs. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but drugs. anyway, my gosh, this has been amazing. I, I'm really glad that we did this episode. I this movie is fan fantastic, and we hope that you enjoyed the episode and are still listening. It was a little bit of a long one, but it was worth every bit of it. Uh, so, like Wes said, please share us around with your friends. Tell your friends about us and and re- recommend a film. We would love to hear your recommendations, and we'll probably do them at some point. Uh, but until then. Until next week, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch the movies.